Hello, hello everyone, hello and welcome. It's episode 75 of The Insurgents. That many, huh? Yeah. 76, actually. These guys need to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even get that right. It said number 76. Oh, pretty that incredible. Many, huh? Yeah. Yeah. You take that again. We're going to delete all this stuff. Um, you might, you might notice that we took a week off of our, our wacky intros. It just felt like there's a little too much serious stuff going on that I didn't think anyone was really tuning in this week to hear us like joke around about being liberal think tank weirdos. Um, I hope you don't mind. I'm sure everyone's really like disappointed. I know that's what everyone really, that's what everyone listens to the show for us doing our weekly sort of like improv segment, improv comedy. Yeah. Well, we'll see who's laughing when upright citizens brigade calls us. Yeah. That's what, that's been my long, my long game all along. Mm-hmm. I don't even really, yeah. I don't really mind so much about the news and politics stuff. That's just a means to an end. Just becoming an improv everywhere type of guy. I'm going to do yeah, my, exactly. my underwear metro ride because that's funny. <laughs> yes. Really, really great. Really great stuff yeah. on the horizon. Watch this space. Zany stuff from those guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are bringing back this week uh, Arash Azizada who appeared on the show a few months ago when Biden announced that they were going ahead with this Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, obviously, there has been a ton of movement on this over the last couple of weeks since this really started to like materialize into a real thing, um, culminating today in this really horrific attack in the Kabul airport. So it's a really like emotional time for, I think, Afghans everywhere, for Arash in particular, who's been writing op-eds and appearing on all kinds of different podcasts and doing all kinds of media lately. So we really appreciated he was able to come back this week and offer his perspective about the really tumultuous events uh, of the last couple of weeks as the United States has gone ahead with this withdrawal from Afghanistan. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, in the show notes, you'll find a link to the petition that um, Afghans for a Better Tomorrow did with Move On. It has well over 100,000 signatures um, you'll also find a link to Arash's op-ed and just links to their social accounts. Support them however best you can. At the end of the episode, he gives you more details on how uh, you can better support them and their work. So please, please uh, plug in if you can. They, It shouldn't fall to grassroots organizers to do this kind of evacuation work. Like that, That's, how, no. sad, that's yeah. how sad the state of affairs are right now. So please support them and their work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he's going to be coming on in just a little bit. Is there anything else you wanted to... Wanted to touch on before we talk to Arash? Uh, I see another nemesis of Rob Rousseau's has fallen. Mm, yes. One of my one of my many my many enemies, one of the many haters and losers that <laughs> has tried to come after me um, through the years. Uh, Owen Schroyer of InfoWars. Yeah. Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Owen Schroyer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And he's being silenced, and I'm actually taking his side. I was being silenced for the crime, the small crime of doing journalism. Yeah, no, that's not true. Um, he he um, surrendered himself to authorities, I believe, for his role in the the January sixth Capitol riot. I didn't actually investigate it this much, but did he actually like breach the Capitol? I know Alex Jones was there, and Infowars had a presence there. I feel like Alex Jones had the good sense to only rile people up to go into the Capitol without <laughs> yeah, actually doing cowards. it himself. Yeah, That's the thing. I'm, like, they're all cowards. Uh, 
You know what? Bra- Baked Alaska, I think, actually went inside. Yeah, I remember I was watching his live stream the day of. He was live streaming oh. from there with his like feet up on <laughs> Nancy Pelosi's desk and stuff. I don't know if there's really great opsec there, if, you, if that's no. the word. No. But I guess Owen, I guess Owen as well played some role. And he's now uh, he's surrendered himself to the authorities. And that just goes to show you that when you do come after me, um, mm-hmm. you go on a list. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for Owen, he found out that bad things happen to you when you show up on this list. And I did what had to be done. Rob's and we just list. leave it at that. We can just leave it at that. We don't need to fill in the blanks. No need to get into yeah. specifics. But this, okay. th- this is what happens. This is what happens when you cross me, Owen. Word of warning no to any other jokers list, out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've all, you're on notice. <laughs> all of you are on notice. Yeah, absolutely. Every listener on this show, they need to know what they're dealing with here. When they send in these rude reviews, <laughs> leave comments online, make fun of me for being Canadian, any of well, this they, stuff. They have a point there. Uh, <laughs> this, this is all list worthy. This is all list worthy behavior. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. We're gonna, we're gonna read between the lines here. Um, no, but shout out to Owen. Um, that's that's pretty unfortunate for him. Uh huh. My prayers are with him in this difficult time. That sucks, bro. Yeah, I mean, just, it was just like very. It was hilarious to to watch that clip of when he did talk to me, talk about me on Infowars. My my very very clearly obviously not serious tweet about about literally i wrote in the tweet voting illegally and just like to me that's like could not be more clear that this is not a real thing that was kind of part of my whole obsession with 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 you know riling up these weird conservative media people um just seeing the extent to which they'll ignore all all signs that like there's not um there's not anything nefarious going on and it, it is in fact just like an annoying guy online just making stuff up all the signs were there for Owen, but he still felt the need to go on Infowars and and talk about apparently me leading some kind of Canadian voting caravan to Texas to vote for Beto O'Rourke in the 2018 midterms, and then just logging on to my verified Twitter account and being like and just openly discussing this illegal actions. <laughs> apparently, I mean I'm making fun of it, but apparently, like <laughs> this is a thing that actually happens. Judging from Owen's own personal situation right now. That's one thing I know that you don't do when you're talking when you're committing serious crimes like that is you don't go online and and brag about doing it. But I guess some of these guys do have trouble with this. Yeah. So that's too bad. Well, you know, everyone's got their faults. Yeah. I'm sure he'll uh, be fine. Uh, please play the clip at some point in this because it's so funny. <laughs> this is some guy Rob Russo, some leftist based in Canada. I was turned on to this sick individual, and I found this. I think the only thing that's better than the actual clip um, is his uh fumbling over the printout out of tweet. your tweet he printed out the <laughs> tweets yeah i had a hard time keeping, the, so keeping his hands good. on it it's really strange <laughs> so how about this and he whips up the paper and almost flush shoots off the desk y'all get a load of this <laughs> yeah no i know it's it's oh, extremely it's so ridiculous good. anyway i'm sure alex jones is going to talk to his cia contacts and he'll be he'll be getting out in no time so no problem mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I know, I wanted to talk about briefly, just because I know you you know you you really enjoy playing the, the video game Fortnite. Not me. I'm a responsible like adult. When, when I have free time, I mostly just spend that time reading about like history and political theory and these kind of very serious the things. Dictionary. But, yeah. 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 Just reading the dictionary is one thing that I often do. 
Um, you're really, you, you, however, um, are really into this world of, of Fortnite, which is fine. And I it's saw that they were, so speaking of history, Fortnite now mm-hmm. is doing some online event where you can log on and, you know, do the, do the Gangnam style dance around an MLK exhibit in the That's online right. world of Fortnite. That's interesting. That's right, Rob. Yeah, the focus is uh, they specifically want you to go do Gangnam style at Martin Luther King's March on Washington. Yeah, um, that I think is what they wanted out of this event. Uh, but no, who you could have go predicted in... that that would be the result? Though it's crazy. <laughs> this is why they should. My my the one thing I was most curious about was whether or not they were going to um, disable emotes because in the past, in a less a much less serious uh, event, they've had like emotes. Or people would like make noise during like a concert, and then like the emote noise would overshadow the music, which was like weird. So I was wondering what they were going to do with this. I went in this morning just to poke around, uh, and I'm going to actually spend more time on it later tonight after deep dive just to see like what the full thing is. There's a bunch of different breakouts, like digital museums and stuff, which I think is going to be fascinating. But like I wanted to see what you were able to do, and they did actually disable some of the. Uh, emotes and some of the emotes that could uh, be more toxic so there's a there's a really obnoxious laugh emote that might that's kind of like informally referenced as the donkey laugh where you do this like barrel laugh and you make this horrible bang noise Uh, they disabled that one completely if you own it you can't even use it Um, there are other ones like uh um the renegade that gene park of the washington post said that renegade is is impermissible and not allowed to be used during this event so i don't know exactly what went into it um, but you can't use some you can't of these. do the l dance i d- would imagine exhibit. that one is also disabled <laughs> yeah that would be not good uh-huh yeah it's very it's very strange i mean i can sort of understand using this world of fortnite to do you know concerts there was like what is it the, the travis Travis Scott had a concert Travis last Scott, year. Yeah, the Travis Scott concert. I remember we joked around about projecting Biden over the Grand Canyon. No, that wasn't a joke. That was something that his campaign wanted to do. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, fuck. yeah, yeah. I thought we made that we, up as one of our bits that we were doing. We, no, no. It was something that we would joke about, but that's something they actually <laughs> wanted to do. When they saw Travis Scott in Fortnite, there was like a report that came out that their digital strategists were like, how do we project Joe Biden over the Grand Canyon? That's what they wanted to do. I see. Okay, yeah. I think I blocked that from my memory somehow. Yeah, it just it seems kind of interesting this idea of using that world for these <laughs> kinds of events. I think this is maybe I would put the stack this up as a bad example of <laughs> of doing something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it kind of reminds me of something that someone once wrote. I can't remember who wrote this, talking about like revolutionary figures um, who get ignored by the establishment while they're alive, and then after their death, after their death, uh, you know, their whole revolutionary <laughs> message gets watered down. Um, and all this stuff gets mm-hmm. robbed and they become these kind of harmless icons. I'm trying to remember who that was, but I can't, it's not coming to me. But thinking about that today, I mean, it's something interesting. It's certainly an interesting concept that, that um, I was reminded of today watching some of that, the clips of, of the Fortnite MLK exhibit. I, I think it's fine, though. Like, I, I it's okay. It's cringy for sure. It's it's made worse by people being able to do the like the Gangnam style like I did on the steps of the, of the Lincoln Memorial. Uh, this was science. I was doing it for science, so I was being respectful. Yeah, I mean, um, you have to check. Yeah, I, I really just wanted to see what you were allowed to do and what you weren't allowed to do, and then I'll go back in later to see the whole thing. But the Biden campaign actually did do their own creative island during the campaign, 
and um, you had to do a, a variety of different mini games and exercises to complete it. And one was, um, you know, there's like picking up trash in out of some creek or river or whatever. Another one was finding sneaker Kam- Kamala's sneakers because they really wanted you to think she was cool because she wore sneakers one time. Mm. Um, and then and the, and the uh, Tims. Let's not that forget was, about yeah, that. Yeah. The this t- is oh, Tim hell, Yeah, she's rocking rocking Tims. Yeah. Uh, and then um, the, my favorite exercise in that little mini world was cranking 90s uh, to build an HBCU. And if you're unfamiliar with Fortnite lingo, that means you're building as fast as you can in a vertical tower, basically. You're, you're building walls and floors in rapid succession. And this is a strategy that people who are really uh, good at the game use to build up a, a, a tower that's pretty high and inaccessible uh, by an enemy. And they call it cranking 90s. So they wanted you to crank 90s to build an HBCU. And I thought that was a really <laughs> odd thing to include. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. Oh, boy. Very strange. It was very strange images coming out of the coming out of the Fortnite world today, mm-hmm. which again I don't I have no involvement with, but mm-hmm. it's peripherally I was paying attention to this. Gotcha. Yeah, That's friends all. friends were playing, and you just saw the memes. Yeah, exactly. Let's get to our talk with uh, Arash Azizada again. Uh, it's it's really informative and helpful to be able to get his perspective on this as someone as an Afghan who lives in the Afghan diaspora. You know, away from the away from the relentless assault of the of the corporate media. Uh, you know, voices like Arash's have been completely ignored um, throughout the last couple of weeks, very deliberately, I think. Uh, and it's it's been a, kind of had a very chilling effect if you if you witness the sort of the way that the the mainstream media in the West has sort of uh, availed itself over the last couple of weeks. So, I was really happy we were able to get him come on to come on the show and give his perspective. He is going to be joining the show right after this. And now we're joined by Arash Azizada from Afghans for a Better Tomorrow. And you might all remember him from an episode we did a few months ago uh, where we talked about the U.S. pullout in Afghanistan and what that might look like. And now, Arash is joining us again to uh, do a retrospective. Uh, what do we what do we get right? What do we get wrong? And a look ahead as uh, the the fallout from the U.S. withdrawal in Afghanistan has created a vacuum for the uh, Taliban to take control. And now we're seeing just today on Thursday attacks at the airport. Arash, uh, it's been quite a couple weeks for you, I know. Yeah. Um, how are you holding up? Um. That's actually a good question, um, and I would say I'm not holding up. You know, like I, I think we can be yeah. honest, and um, I'm probably like a shattered person, and I'm, I'm broken as a human being, and so are so is everyone else in my family and in our community, and that also like pales to comparison uh, to the folks in Afghanistan. Um, and but I also don't have time to really think about my feelings and process because I've been kind of just like doing nonstop triage and rapid response in terms of the situation back home on like an organizational level and advocacy stuff you know uh but also like on a personal level where i'm like hey these are people i care about and um people that are in like harm harm's way right now and trying to work to ensure that they somehow get evacuated and uh so yeah like Mm -hmm. i i've I've seen better days uh unfortunately but it's good to talk to you guys and uh Credit for to both of you for for being one of the very 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 few people who this is not the first conversation we're having, but everyone else is talking to me. It's it's our first, so 
uh, appreciate yeah. being back on, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, of course, this morning, um, there were these really uh, horrific bombings now at the Kabul airport. I mean, so much has happened since the last time we spoke. I mean, we, we talked about when the when the withdrawal was announced, and we were wondering whether that timeline was going to hold. We, ta- we talked about, I remember, whether the war was really like coming to an end or whether it was just being privatized, whether there were going to be, you know, contractors left over, what the situation was going to be. Uh, I guess because, like, before we talk about the, the attacks that happened this morning, I guess my question for you, uh, Arash, is are you, are you surprised at the speed with which um, the Taliban was able to um, take control of the country? With the U.S. leaving, I mean, it seems like it caught a lot of people in the United States government off guard, or they were at least cagey about the the prospects of this happening. Um, has it been surprising to you the speed with which this has all happened over the last like week or two? Yeah, I think it is. As much as I would like to say, hey, like you know, because there are some items I go back to specifically. We published. I talked to you guys, and I published a, a piece in News Newsweek roughly three to four months ago. I think it was May when we launched our uh, Afghans for a Better Tomorrow campaign in anticipation of the withdrawal, and uh, shortly after uh, President Biden's announcement. Um, and despite all that, I think and the feeling kind of like, oh. You know, some of the things I kind of saw, saw coming in a way. But I think the, 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 the progression at which it happened and how rapidly everything deteriorated, uh, I think has kind of like has been shell shocking in a way, uh, to see, uh, essentially 20 years. And we can like dive into what went wrong the past 20 years. Uh, but people had dreams and aspirations and businesses and, and, and platforms. And, and those things kind of evaporated pretty much overnight to see it dissolve, uh, essentially, or to watch it get quite literally get kicked out in a sense. Uh, that was, I think, shocking. You know, we saw all these major cities fall um, and then Kabul and all became kind of inevitable in a sense. That was, I think, emotionally hard to process. And I'm not sure even of, like, you know, like since the last time we spoke, We've seen the entire country collapse. We are now watching a country that is essentially under sanction because the Taliban are sanctioned under both the U.S. Treasury as well as United Nations. Um, an authoritarian and repressive rule. Um, thousands of people that have been evacuated. A civil society that has almost most of, a lot, not a most of, but a lot of which has emptied out. Um, it's been a very, very quick and drastic uh and I would kind of compare, this is the last time I felt like this was uh, November of 2016. Uh, this possibly being worse um, in many ways, obviously. Uh, but it's that kind of shell shock if, 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 if people want to like try to make a comparison. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I have fully processed, that. I processed the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're seeing, you know, heartbreaking images and, and stories out of Afghanistan. We're hearing about people possibly being stranded and we're seeing plane, photos of uh, empty planes leaving or, or, bare, or sparsely filled planes leaving. And, you know, there's a bipartisan uh, segment in Congress demanding better. But what strikes me uh, as inauthentic, of course, is, you know, there's a cadre of Republicans who are saying, like, this is so heartbreaking what's happening. Biden needs to resign and they're also simultaneously arguing for a continued uh presence in afghanistan and 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 many of them are opposing any withdrawal whatsoever they they want a permanent presence in afghanistan um 
how do you feel when you see Republicans kind of use this moment that to you is your friends and family suffering to you, your heart, your heart is breaking, you're exhausted. And then you see Warhawks trying to glom onto this moment, acting like they too sympathize, but ultimately they just want a continued militaristic presence there. Um, I was, can, can I curse on this podcast? Please Go do for it. it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I would say fuck them. You know, like they can drop dead. Uh, and I hope this, this, I hope your audience is not that wide, but fuck them. You know, like that's how I feel. It's okay. And we I tell it like it is here. And sometimes it <laughs> comes down to that. Yeah. I'm also, no punches. I'm, also, I'm also doing some congressional advocacy to save some lives, but, uh, you know, like fuck them. Uh, because, and that's yeah. how I truly feel because they don't give a, they don't give a shit about Afghan people and they're using it as a talking point to kind of go after the Biden administration. And like, let me like, preface this by saying this is a bipartisan failure right and like continued conflict is exactly what we don't want we don't want continued drone strikes we don't want continued cia engagement within the country we don't want uh so-called quote-unquote over the horizon military capabilities we don't want cruise missiles we, we don't want any of that that has only that we've been doing that for 20 years if not longer actually you know like i've been talking a lot about the history of of, of afghanistan like Clinton lobbed cruise missiles in 98 and like it's just like failure after failure of 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 US military engagement you know and like we need to really um pivot to like other types of uh, positive uh, engagement and we can like kind of discuss that later but when i see the right uh, and the conservatives kind of um use this as a as an opportunity to bash Biden i will say you know the, the Biden administration does own this failure, but the withdrawal failure is an extension of the occupation failure. And the occupation failure is a failure of the war on terror. And the war on terror is a failure of like our domestic politics. And, and our domestic politics uh, can also trace back to what the U.S. did uh, to black and brown bodies back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. You know, in the 90s, uh, folks pretended that Afghanistan didn't exist and in, 80, in the 80s we were used as like a proxy force. Um, and so when I see folks kind of use us as a political, like they're using my friends and, and my family and the families of my friends and, and people amazing, like brave, courageous people are sitting on a tarmac, like being fed pork, by the way, by the US military. Like we're being used as cheap scoring points. And that's, that's what this, this is not what this is about. And I'm a, I'm a leftist and progressive. And I'm like, I would also say like, I'm, I, I have, I'm deeply disappointed by the institution that is the United States government and also deeply, deeply disappointed and very critical of the Biden administration. And at the same time, like right now, like, although my ideology doesn't matter and like my affiliation doesn't matter, like, I'm an abolitionist, you know, like I would like to see the police be abolished and certain institutions be abolished. But like today and this week in this moment, like whoever can help me save the lives of the people that are dear and close to me is what's important. Uh, and on that on that ground, every single politician and policymaker has failed me. Yeah, I wanted to point out too, because like, obviously, it's grotesque, this conservative reaction, especially among like these kind of so called populist conservatives like Josh Howley, who have made who have used rhetoric about the forever wars and have kind of pretended to be against these endless occupations, who are now immediately, you know, calling for calling for blood in the wake of these latest attacks. Um, but I wanted to point out it's not even about conservatives or the political establishment, but there's a lot of liberals that have really, um, it's been a mask off moment for a lot of liberals, especially in the media. Um, over the last couple of weeks. So there's been this kind of two-week, um, very bizarre freakout 
by these sort of liberal media establishment people uh, in the New York Times and in, in on CNN and in mainstream media who have not been talking about this conflict at all uh, for the last several years and have completely ignored all the the human rights disasters that have unfolded in this region as a result of this occupation over the last you know five years, but over the last twenty years overall, um, who now all of a sudden are are in overdrive, kind of manufacturing this narrative about uh, Biden abandoning people and and uh, you know what are we going to do about these human rights, the human rights issues and and the rights of women, um, and it seems just it seems very very uh, ugly to me the way that some of these people have immediately shifted and started promoting this narrative um, after really ignoring ignoring the, the, the entire uh, occupation, ignoring all the human rights atrocities that have been occurring for years. All of a sudden, I've kind of made this, made this their cause um, as this withdrawal has happened because, you know, the empire is now embarrassed. The troops are being embarrassed. Um, and these people seem to take this personally in a certain extent. And um, it's it's been very ugly to see this unfold. Yeah, I- I've seen a variety of things, and I think uh, I I had um, had dinner with a friend yesterday, which was the first time kind of I've, that I left my house and try to like uh, not spend every waking moment to facilitate some type of advocacy or like evacuation or coordination effort. And she looked at me and she said, you know, like oh, people are hitting me up, you know, on a personal level. She said, you know, people are hitting me up, and they're like, do you want to talk about Afghanistan? And she responds to them, you know, you can talk about Afghanistan as much as you've mentioned it to me in the past twenty years, which is never, you know, like now yeah. all of a sudden people are interested. So that's a good rule of thumb to have. I was like, if 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 you haven't pretended to care, uh, and if you're not entering this conversation like owning. Um, and, and holding like a mirror to yourself saying, hey, I actually failed to care about this issue because I think for many also it's like a complex issue, right? Like it's a, it's, a, it's on, on one side is brown people and then the other side it's brown people, um, in the, in the current, uh, conflict. So I think people are kind of like confused by it if you don't delve into it and if you don't read up on it and if you don't center Afghan voices. And that's at the core of like what's going on in, in mainstream media right now. It's still, is trying to it's trying to fill airtime or it's like pages and it's advocating for so there was two specific pieces that i saw one of them was ambassador ryan crocker who writes in the new york times op-ed um you know and there's there's there, there was there's two prominent individuals who are probably uh, who were published in the new york times one of them is me and the other one is ambassador ryan crocker but the ambassador t- kind of talks about oh you know this like we should have just kept this occupation going it was a quote-unquote affordable status quo an affordable status quo that was killing 10,000 civilians, Afghan civilians every year for the past 20 years, you know, and a conflict that was starting to kill more Afghans at the start of the Doha courts because the Taliban agreed to not kill Americans. And you, and so like Ryan Crocker talks about, like it just talks about Afghan lives in this uh, dismissive way. It doesn't acknowledge him. It doesn't center him. Uh, and it's like so painful to, to hear that. And by the way, the 10,000 number doesn't include the, uh, the Taliban, uh, um, members that are dying as well as the Afghan de- defense forces. You know, we're talking about, uh, about a number that's between 17 to 25,000 people a year, 40 past 20 years. If you know, and we can go back, actually, this conflict has raged for 43 years. Um, and with the U.S. either engaged or disengaged and, and being re- re- responsible for that. And so, uh, when I've also seen these Twitter threads and everybody continues to elevate these white male voices in a way that it's like, you know, just, just, just try to like reach out to an Afghan voice and see what it feels like for them. You know, this is now impacting, uh, 
millions and millions of Afghan lives, you know, 38 million people. Um, and, and, and the mainstream media kind of has continued to like fail, fail at their job, uh, which is not surprising, but nonetheless, very disappointing. Yeah. Well, like what you're pointing out is really true. Um, this this narrative again this the the way that people have described this this conflict and the need to con- just indefinitely p- continue this occupation because it's so low cost and you see America no American has been killed for the last several years you've seen a lot mm-hmm. of conservatives kind of take this line you know no American was killed under Trump while like you said completely ignoring uh, the Afghan lives that have been lost during this period and even I mean you mentioned the Afghan forces as well that was one thing with with Biden where you know credit to credit to Biden for the fact that he's continued this this withdrawal despite the sort of potential political consequences for it and we can get into that later but it was also a little bit uh, gross i think how he kind of essentially essentially said that the people in afghanistan were too you know were cowards somehow or not were not willing to defend the country as if that's not what they've been doing for the last several decades at, at great cost um and you saw another example of this today with this terror with this uh, terrorist attack at kabul airport a lot of the reporting we're hearing about the American servicemen were killed, but once again, the the dozens of civilians that were killed in this attack just don't get mentioned often in these in these you know these these dispatches. Yeah, I, I think you know I got a kind of like nasty email, which I'm just, I'm not I'm I'm not very visible until maybe the past few days, and I got this like nasty email and basically said, you know, Afghans are cowards. You know, my father fought in the Korean War, and you you guys should have fought and. My answer to that is, you know, we've been fighting in some capacity or in some shape for the past like 43 years. And to, again, to give it context, I'm 33. You know, like this war, this conflict is roughly like nine to 10 years, if not older than me. And that's how long Afghan, uh, the Afghan people have not seen, um, some kind of peace, some kind of sovereignty, right? Like any kind of stability. The Afghan people are the biggest refugee population in the world, you know? Uh, like nobody even comes close. Like uh, in the past few years, we've seen maybe Syrians uh, kind of join us in that regard, which is like really sad and, and, and disheartening and depressing. But th- this is the situation that Afghan uh, Afghans have found themselves in. And to like say that, you know, these fight, this, these, uh, these Afghans didn't fight and they just gave up. It's like, well, yeah, you know what? Like, I kind of have an understanding for it. Uh, not only is there 42 years of conflict, you know, but why die for an unworthy cause? Uh, because at, in the end, what the United States and coalition forces did was to enable, to enrich, uh, to prop up all these like institutions, which I like, it was a house of cards and they all just dissolved overnight because that's what happened when you build a deck of cards. It only takes one little thing and, and it falls apart. Right. And we're talking whether we're talking about government institutions or like the anti-corruption, uh, institutions that they try to build the banks, uh, like even the media to some degree, they were all in the end propped up by, uh, by the West. And when, uh, you build things that are under occupation, right? This like to be under occupation is under to be under duress, even if you finesse it in a way that looks like people have agency. In the past twenty years, there was this article about how the NGO uh, sector in, in in a place like Kabul has been actually very harmful. You know, it noted that in the past twenty years, there was no student movement, there was no grassroots movement that protested um, the American occupation or coalition uh, occupation anyway. Why? Because all these NGOs are attached to these Afghan activists in, in a way that kind of, you know, why would you criticize the people that are funding your arts program or your schooling or providing scholarships, right? Like it's this like implicit, um, neo-colonial 
way of, of trying to control the Afghan people. And then this is what we see. This is the end result of that, right? Like the Taliban saw these fractures. They saw how um, fragile this was and they took advantage of it. And to also, and we haven't not even discussed the fact that like the U.S.'s exit is not just the Biden administration's exit. Specifically, it started during the Obama administration and sped up really under the Trump administration. But the U.S. essentially cut a deal with the Taliban, emboldened it, strengthened it, gave him diplomatically legitimacy uh, through the Doha courts and otherwise spent a year and a half not bombing the Taliban, right? Which was uh, allowed them to uh, uh, resupply and um, basically gain strength. You know, that, 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 that was the biggest uh, threat to the Taliban. It was uh, the fact that they don't have an air force and essentially the Afghans and, and the U.S. do. They have strike capabilities from the air. And so they were able to get, gather strength and, that's really, I think, is like part of the the, the equation that folks are missing. Uh, the withdrawal uh, meant emboldening the Taliban. Like, in the U.S. cut a deal in order to save the lives of American troops and to not put them in harm's way. But instead, who uh, had to fight, who endured, who were on the front lines? It was not just Afghan uh, members of, of, of our national security forces, but also just Afghan civilians. That's a line we saw from from Biden in his press conference too, right? It was it was look, we thought the Afghan military would have the I can't remember what word he used, but basically said they didn't have like the spine to fight. Uh, he said they didn't have the the backbone, whatever, uh, and put you know put a share of the blame on uh, the Af- Afghan military. And you look at that, and you look at comments that we're seeing today from people like uh, Todd Starnes, right, who says that for every one uh, member of the military, or one American that dies, an entire village or city in Afghanistan should be uh, raised uh, and just obliterated, which is just a purely genocidal statement. And I think it's rooted in a psycho show. You know, yeah. Yeah. It's rooted in this idea that people around the world just aren't fully human. It's like a level of jingoism yeah. that we see play out in our foreign policy all the time. Um, it's disgusting, but, you know, it's pretty common. It's like a pretty common mindset on the right. So you have, you have that. And then on the other side, like there's just like this hysterical coverage uh, from the corporate media where they're propping up like defense contractors and former defense officials yeah. who aren't even disclosing their ties to the military or like or defense contractors, and they're egging on like a permanent occupation or you know uh, a, a reengagement. It, it really can't be stressed enough, like how one-sided this media campaign has yeah, been. There's it's, been no, there's been no voices, no countering voices to this narrative. No one saying, "Look, well, Biden's doing the right thing," and everyone expected that it was going to be like no one, no nuance whatsoever. It's been 100 percent every single day on cable news for the last two weeks, um, fear mongering about this and and talking about what's going to happen to human rights and you know we need to expand, extend the occupation. Um, it's just been. It's been really relentless. Like it's been really kind of eerie to watch this to watch this play out, especially from a press that's been pretty compliant when it comes to the Biden administration and pretty willing to sort of rubber stamp his agenda and kind of present him as being oh the adults are back in charge, you know the bad the bad orange man is gone, have just flipped on a dime overnight, and it's been this nonstop campaign over this. It's been really really bizarre. Yeah, I, I would. Um... I would like to make a comment about Todd Barnes. There's currently charter flights going into Kabul. Uh, I would not yeah. be opposed if he were to be on one. And yeah, that- exactly. I, I nominate Todd as well. We can just catapult Todd into the Hindu Kush, I think, and we can get him to resolve this situation. I, I, I think we can 
build a broad coalition movement that uh, <laughs> that, that could be one of our one of, one of our one of the things that we can uh, that might be a bipartisan yeah, yeah that can be one of our yeah. asks uh, in terms <laughs> but of also the, on 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 that part too really quick Michael Hayden even tried to use that though but said like oh yeah we should send unvaccinated MAGA people to Afghanistan it's like sure go infect people who probably don't have this who definitely don't have the same access to medicine or vaccines as you do like it, like that's like the liberal response is just yeah, yeah let's send uh, MAGA people over there <laughs> it's been really a mask off moment for a lot of people I feel like um, yeah. and revealing what their true feelings are about about these conflicts and about these other cultures it's 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 the cheap disregard for afghan life because it's so far away right like even for me you know i grew up in the west um even for me it's easy to have like some naive views about what the situation is there and like um it requires like a a level of like understanding and nuance and, and and probably patience and also just like humility and that's that's i think that's one of the things that that people here in america lack in this very moment specifically the media uh and i would like also say like and it's been a mask off for uh everyone right and like in this moment where i am like looking for people to align with me and ha- like tap into a deeper moment of consciousness where i say hey guys like this is a crisis moment and this is the biggest like the past 10 days have been the biggest crisis moment uh both in my personal life but also for for my community and for my people and to say to see people just disregard and like people talk about the media narrative saying oh well they're just looking to criticize biden and you know like how about you know just just forget the politics for a second and and see what's what's at stake and i've like fortunately not been able to consume cable news uh these past few few days and i think i'm fortunate because i think it would make me even more angry than 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 i currently am and there's like a deeper rage boiling inside of me obviously um but for the U.S. media specifically, right, like the American media is elevating the exact people who were in charge of this mistake uh, of, and of this failure in the first place, right? Like any government official, any de- defense official, uh, who, by the way, is now working for Raytheon, um, why are they on TV talking about this? You know, there are plenty of other people who are also experts, who, you know, who can th- talk about the situation at hand with authenticity uh, and it fails to do that and instead just continues to give a platform to, to the same exact people who were harmful to the Afghan people uh, in the first place and that's like it's obviously a, a lesson the, 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 the mainstream media is, is unable and unwilling to learn and this is the point that one of my fellow organizers made during one of our actions here in New York you know he said um he said, you know, this has not been a, a, a failure. You know, the occupation was not a failure. It succeeded in what it needed to do. You know, there were clear winners. And the clear winners were Raytheon and Boeing. And these their, uh, people on their board of directors and board of advisors are on CNN and MSNBC uh, getting free airtime uh, to advocate for like continued conflict, continued war, uh, the no acknowledgement that like this policy of continued conflict and war, continuing to bomb them has not worked. And what I call upon right now, like just humility, know that the U.S. actually has doesn't have the ability to uh, bomb a place like Afghanistan or anywhere else in the world for that matter. It cannot bomb it into like stability or peace. That doesn't work. We have 20, if not 42 years of, of, of evidence for that. I guess the question after um, 
after the attack of of this morning in Kabul. I mean, that was that was always one of the main issues that the kind of fine line you've had to walk here because you know everyone should be supporting the Afghanistan withdrawal and and when you're talking about helping human rights or half helping the Afghanistan people, we should be talking about you know bringing in migrants into our communities and into our into our countries, people that want to get out of this situation. Um, but the the fear always was though that this was going to lead to some more sectarian violence and it wasn't just going to be this completely peaceful orderly transition um i guess what given the events of today um like what do you think the what do you think the immediate future looks like and um do you, do you think there's a a chance that afghanistan can, can get through this this current chaotic period with some with any semblance of stability or is this more of a sort of an ugly harbinger of of more bad things to come uh, in in the future well, I would say that today's um, attacks at the airport kind of show um, what we just discussed, which is, you know, like you can continue to use force and violence and war and conflict and arms and drone strikes and CIA run, <laughs> CIA run strikes squads with histories, with history of abuses. It, it does not, it does not bring peace. It does not defeat the Taliban. It does not defeat ISIS. Uh, it does not bring democracy. It does not bring women's rights. Uh, that's evidence of that. And like the, uh, the point that we were advocating for, uh, earlier this week was, uh, hey, uh, I think the Biden administration should make this evacuation a little bit orderly and have a system. Instead, it's chaotic because the scene outside the airport is chaotic. Extend your perimeter. Like in this very moment, yes, we want the U.S. to leave, obviously, because it's continuing to do harm. But in this very moment, we wanted to uh, secure the airport, keep it operational, and allow for the evacuation of people who are afraid of, of, of repression and uh, uh, living under a authoritarian uh, regime. And so I will always be an optimist and, and uh, try to be hopeful. This is there's never like this, this so-called like final chapter for Afghanistan. You know, like I think there's 38 million people who will continue to live there, and an overwhelming majority of them will fight for a better tomorrow. That's what our campaign is about. Uh, hopefully, that is done in a way that doesn't kill any more people. You know, like I continue to advocate for, for people to bring change. And like those fo- people went, took to the streets last week and they carried the Afghan flag in an act of defiance and they, they had to dodge bullets. And um, that is unfortunately the situation um, that is going to continue in a way. And it's hard for me to foresee and, and to also know to people that like, yeah, of course, conflict and, and war is painful and occupation is painful and is miserable. But also living under repression is also really awful, right? Like violence can violence uh, and conflict can also look like somebody being dragged out, out of the, in the middle of the house at 3 a.m. quietly, not in front of um, Clarissa Ward's camera, cameras on CNN. That also is violence. That's repression. And that will continue to harm the, um, the Afghan people. And unfortunately, the United States, the West... The international community has a hand in that and it has a moral obligation to kind of alleviate the pain that, that it has helped cause over the past few, de- a few decades. Um, I want to get into your your op-ed for the Times a little bit before we wrap. Um, and also, like, we really appreciate you even just taking the time to talk to us because you're, you've been so busy and so, like, yeah. stretched thin that you're even doing this as, like, an honor because – you are you are doing work that the government really should be doing and NGOs should be doing it's like falling on regular people i mean you're you're important to us but you mean 
like you you aren't like you know super politically powerful um but this is this is how it's how far it's fallen uh there's this responsibility this moral obligation to do something um but your your piece was about what the Biden administration should do. And there's a looming deadline on to withdraw on the 31st. And I know you've been uh, talking to people to see if it can get extended because there's a possibility if they just have a firm hard stop at the, on the 31st, people get left behind. Um, but the Biden administration said that they're not going to stay beyond that. Um, what should people understand about that deadline and what is your ideal outcome? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I want to convey to folks who are listening in that I've spent just like every other community member, I think, if not a majority of us, especially folks who are kind of plugged in and like, unfortunately, has spent 20 years in DC. So I'm plugged in, you know, I'm plugged into our community, our diaspora community. I'm plugged into also like, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, 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 nobody really knows who I am. But like this week, all of a sudden, people do want to hear what's going on on the ground. And so like, I'm trying to leverage that little tiny bit of power to be able to say, hey, like, this person right now is in a safe house in Kabul and, and this person kind of needs to be rescued. And I've, I've, I've tried, I've tried to do everything within my reach. Every person I've ever met, you know, this is why I'm on every podcast. This is why I'm stretched in. This is why I'm doing every <laughs> media opportunity because it helps me. Um, it gives me a platform to advocate for my friends and it gives me an av- uh, a platform to advocate for people because the Biden administration is failing to do that. I'm doing the job that the government do- is, is, is doing. And, now they've put this like August 31st arbitrary deadline. And I say this as somebody who wants the occupation to end. I want the U.S. to, con- to disengage militarily from Afghanistan because it can do no positive in, in that sense. I also just don't believe that, you know, the U.S. should continue its empire around the world, especially not where I'm from. Um, and I would say the idea, this, this arbitrary deadline is, 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 is exactly that. It's set that. And I understand things are in flux. You know, 12 Marines or 12 U.S. soldiers uh, died today. And that makes things a little bit more complicated. But many more Afghans are at risk of repression, being lashed and dying. And the ideal outcome is that um, the airport remains continued, it continues to be operational and secure for the next few weeks at least. Um, to not rush this evacuation to like allow people the chance uh, because what the 20 year occupation has done it's just uh it's what i call it's cu- touched so many uh afghans right like whether it's through aid money or the military you know somebody's probably uh in some capacity fed uh, some coalition soldier or an american soldier and that person is under risk right now we're talking about queer and trans afghans we're talking about journalists uh um, women leaders, entrepreneurs, all these folks are deadly afraid and want to leave. And so the U.S. has kind of this a moral obligation to, to allow for the evacuation of as many people who seek and desire to seek refuge uh, and human dignity and safety elsewhere. Uh, I advocate for that to be in the U.S. If they want it to be elsewhere, that the U.S. should facilitate that as well. So that's the ideal outcome. And the second part of that is that's for the folks who are able and capable and want to leave. The second part is uh, like some type of humanitarian uh, aid. Uh, it needs to be massive. It needs. It, there's like a sense of urgency behind it. We're looking at 30% of the population of Afghanistan that is under the risk of starvation, unfortunately. This is one of the biggest droughts in uh, recent history 
unfortunately. There is a pandemic, unfortunately. There is a, a repressive force at play that is currently telling folks, hey, music is banned and women uh, for right now need to stay inside. This There's, there's no lack of... Uh, pressing items uh but i think those are those are the most two pressing things that in this in this very moment um uh, on thursday when i'm speaking with you guys and you know that's kind of changing but uh those are kind of the the major major points that i think are of importance uh as we move into the next few days and week yeah um so i think i think we're all in agreement that continued uh, U.S. military occupation is not the solution to this issue. I mean, you can look back at the last 20 years of the war on terror, uh, not just in Afghanistan, but Iraq, Syria, Libya, and all the different sort of uh, geographical locations where this has taken place. It's just been an absolute fucking calamity for decades now. Um, and, and, you know, violence like what we saw today is the result of that. And it's not, it's not you know, further occupation is not going to decrease the likelihood of such attacks. It's going to just increase it as it always does. I think we're all on the same page about that. I imagine. Um, I guess what I'm wondering is um, for people that are listening and for people that want to, you know, help, you know, do whatever they can to try and help vulnerable people uh, right now. How would you recommend that people do that? Whether it's by talking to elected officials, uh, voicing support for, you know, bringing in Afghan res- refugees, fundraising like is there any specific actions do you recommend people can take um to try and do whatever we can to um protect vulnerable people uh right now yeah i I think there's a variety there's no lack of need um in this very moment and there's a variety of action items um that i would ask people to do Uh, so our campaign is called agnes for a better tomorrow you can either google that um or you can go to our twitter or so or other social channels one of the things we have is obviously um we have this move on um petition that we are still pushing i think it's over 105,000 people uh, asking specifically yeah. for the U.S. to take an Afghan refugee. Uh, there's also a congressional call script that we link to uh, that we're asking. We are basically uh, hoping that as many people as possible continue to slam congressional lines, continue to advocate for the U.S. to take refugees in, continue to advocate for the airport to stay open, continue to advocate for uh, some of the other things that I mentioned, such as humanitarian aid. Um, these are a lot of like, vital, vital, vital importance, and that's, that's what we ask folks to do. Um, one immigration, um, uh, one, one lane of like, uh, uh one of the refu- uh, one of the immigration asks that we have is, um, we're essentially being told that for Afghan refugees to be able to make it into the U S if they don't really qualify for some of the other, um, um, ways of, of coming to the U S uh, which is if you've either worked for the U.S. military or in some capacity worked for a U.S. funded agency or project, um, you know, somebody who's just like a queer person and I'm on his own who's at risk, who obviously deserves to like not live under, under the Taliban rule. Uh, we're being asked to do that through humanitarian parole. And also the like, immigration system is obviously designed to say no. It's not designed to vet people. It's designed to tell people and dissuade them from coming. And right now we're just in this like crisis moment where we're actually uh, being told that, hey, like humanitarian parole is the route you should take now what folks should know is that the humanitarian parole process is very uh, bureaucratic it also costs 575 dollars per person it also uh, asks for a variety of resources it asks for um for people i i like when i file a humanitarian parole application for one of my friends who i'm trying to get over here it asks me to you know give my social security number it asks me to vouch for them financially 
this is just a, a difficult task to complete and and it's five hundred seventy five dollars for for every person so what we are doing actually and you can find us on uh the afghans for a better tomorrow social uh channels we were fundraising and we're trying to fundraise as, as much money as possible like the cost for a family is five seventy five times like four okay so we're looking at over like uh Two thousand dollars for somebody to be even considered to be able to be uh, come to the United States, and we're not even talking about what an actual evacuation looks like. Uh, then I would also consider, you know, if folks are interested in uh, assisting Afghans in Afghanistan, there's a lot of IDPs, internally displaced people. Uh, there's an organization called uh, uh, Read to Lead, as well as Wise W I S E. Uh, both these organizations are working on a very small scale right now because it's just difficult to operate as an NGO within the country. Uh, but those people are both assisting um, refugees who have been displaced, who have like can't come to the capital. And I think the context for people being that like there's a run on the banks, right? Like the mon- the banks are empty. They don't have any cash. There's no dollars. There's no currency. There's no fiat. And so people are slowly becoming a little bit more desperate and they need uh, access to basic things such as food uh, and water. And, and that's, those are the kind of things people can assist in by, by donating money. Awesome. Um, we will do our best to link all of that in the show notes and obviously follow Afghans tomorrow at Afghans tomorrow on Twitter at 87 films for Arash on Twitter. You guys are doing amazing, amazing work. I can't yeah. stress that enough. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for elevating our voice, you know, doing the right thing. And thanks for uh, giving us a platform. And um, I hope everyone who's listening in uh, at least does one of the things that, that I asked for. Uh, we'd be forever grateful. Uh, we find ourselves in a moment of crisis, unfortunately, uh, but people can alleviate some pain, you know, like um, it just takes it just takes uh, every person who's listening in today to to make a call or make a donation or sign a petition. Hopefully all three. That's right. Well, thanks again, Arash. We really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, we know you have, you're all over the place right now. Um, so we, we appreciate a lot that you can come on to talk to us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Arash. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban. So please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.